Well, good morning, church family. Good to see everybody. You, you made it here through the storms. I, I think we have enough water to get us through August. I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not testing the weather to see if it can, how hot it can get or dry, but man, we, we've had the storms. Thank you for making your way here today through that, and I hope you stay mostly dry getting home. We're continuing today our, our series on First and Second Peter. I, I say continuing because last week we started a new series looking at these letters from the Apostle Peter. If I was to kind of sum up last week, I would, I would say this, suffering, and there's a lot of kinds of suffering in there. And I believe the Bible addresses all of the various kinds of suffering. First and second Peter is not about all the kinds of suffering. It's about a very particular type of suffering. And as we go through this summer, we'll, we'll see that unfold. But suffering is an opportunity. I, I think that's the word we left with last week. It's an opportunity. We don't have to go look for suffering. We don't have to say, God, please bring me suffering. We don't have to go drum some up. But should suffering come our way, it, it is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to thrive. It, th- that is an opportunity for me as an individual. It's an opportunity for the kingdom of God, for, for the church. And so that's kind of what we grabbed a hold of last week. And now today, we la- last week we kind of looked at both of the letters and a broad overview. And today we're going to kind of start to go through verse by verse looking at, at what Peter says to us in these letters. And when I say to us, I, I mean to you and me. He he writes to us, and right here in America in 2018, guiding us, giving us direction on how we navigate the world we live in. A world, right, where what you and I believe, where where what you and I hold of great value is, is increasingly putting us on the outside, isn't it? It's it's becoming more and more foreign what, what, what you and I hold dear. I, I mean, we, we live in a world where very simp- where we would have thought very simple things like like believing in the Bible or being a follower of Jesus that that places you on the outside, and and there's an increasing reality of that actually having some negative side effects. Sometimes it can be little more than you know we're just in, you know maybe a little embarrassed or something, but in other places some more significant things are happening. I mean, I mean, folks, little beliefs like believing there's a God, there's one God, there's one way to that God, and that way is open to all, that, if you hold that kind of idea, that makes you intolerant and unloving. If you hold to the idea that there's a, a biblical, historical, practical definition of marriage, that, that makes you intolerant, that makes you unloving, and Right now, today, this isn't hypothetical anymore. People are losing jobs over those ideas. People are being sued over those ideas. There's a Supreme Court case right now that we should hear on about the end of June over this very kind of, kind of thing. So, I mean, what, what do we do, man? How do we live in this new world? Well, well, that's what First and Second Peter are going to help do, kind of navigate us through that. Because guess what? We're not living in a new world. We're living in a very old world and the same thing going on. And Peter's going to speak right to where we are. And, and as we open this letter, why, why a key theme is suffering, what, what Peter's going to do right up front is he's going to anchor you and I to one huge word, hope. Hope has incredible, tremendous power to give us strength, 
to, to give us that motivation, that ability to kind of get up and, and go again. And, and even with a good attitude about it, hope is, is so important. Man, have you hoped? Have you hoped in something? I'm, I'm guessing we all have, right? We, we've hoped in things and we've seen them come to fruition and we've hoped in things and, and seen it fall apart. Either way, it produces a very dramatic response in us, doesn't it? You know, as we, as we enter the, the month of June, uh, it, it, this is my favorite month. It's my birthday month. I'll be receiving gifts all month long, whatever, whatever Sunday's good for you to bring, uh, no problem at all. But, but is, isn't our birthday month for all of us kind of a favorite month? I mean, you know, I mean, that's the month. Hey, I'm the center of the world. What's better than that? You know, and, and so when we come up on our month, we kind of think back and we think about, oh, that was that party. Oh, I remember that gift. Or maybe we remember a certain trip and, and just remembering kind of being the center of everyone's love and attention in, in your little world. And, 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 you know, so birthday months are good. And I, boy, I tell you, I, when I think of the word hope, I actually think of my birthday month. I, I think of when I was turning seven years old. And uh, my mom and dad were going to take me and my, my friends to Carowinds. We lived in, in Charlotte, North Carolina at the time. And, and Carowinds is a, is a theme park that is right on the state line. I mean, the, the state line is painted down the middle of the park. So you got North Carolina and South Carolina. Has anybody been there? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Oh, gosh, quite a few. All right. Yeah. So you know, you know how wonderful that, I mean, to be seven and stand in two states. I mean, that's the essence of life itself. There's nothing bigger than that. And to stand in two states and eat cake, to stand in two states and be getting presents, I mean, this is, this is going to be the best day ever. Until my parents have to start watching the weather forecast. You know, about Monday, we got to start keeping up with what the weather's going to do. And man, I, I, I could see where this was going. There was gonna be these storms and I was I was hoping and hoping and hoping and hoping and and my hope was crushed on the certainty of storms and Friday night they canceled my birthday you didn't even know I'm still six never turned seven never got there stolen from me it was an awful moment oh go ahead ask me did it rain not a drop not a drop it's the most beautiful day in the history of weather it's unbelievable. Hope. Hey, haven't we all been there? Yeah, you know what? We, it's not like, we, oh yeah, there's this one time. No, we, we've been there over and over and over. We, we know what it is to hope and, and to see that hope come to fruition and, and enjoy it and relish it. And, and no doubt we've hoped in some things, probably in some things more important than carowinds and, and had that hope fall apart. And boy, there's that moment there where it just kind of seems like the world's coming apart, doesn't it? Hope is such a, a powerful force, a powerful emotion. And uh, Peter wants to anchor you and I to that as we move through a world where suffering is such a great reality. Let's, let's look and see how he does that. Would you turn with me today to, to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Fastest way to find 1 Peter is go to the end of your Bible. Find Revelation and then just start backing up. You'll go through a couple of really short one and two page letters, Jude, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then, and then you'll be in the two letters to Peter. 1st Peter chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. 
And I'm going to read 12 verses, so, so hang on, okay? 12 verses, beginning in verse 1. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people, that, that's you, who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I said last week that's the modern area that we would refer to as the nation of Turkey. God the Father knew you and he chose you long ago and his spirit has made you holy. As a result of that, as a result of the spirit making you holy, you have obeyed him and you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy that you've been born again. How have we been born again? By his great mercy, nothing else. I haven't been born again because I was really pretty good to start with. I haven't been born again because of some ritual I went through or some good act I did. I was born again by his great mercy because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's where that mercy came from. That's where that mercy was bought. Now we live with great expectation And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead. Man, if you, if you have your own Bible, that's a good line to, a good line to underline, isn't it? That's wonderful, that's a wonderful thing there to circle. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you've never seen him. Hey, that's you and me, isn't it? You love him though you haven't seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Man, there is so much there in what I just, I mean, there's so many words, phrases, ideas we could just camp on. But boy, let me just start off with there in verse 3 when it says, you and I look forward to, we have a great expectation. Every day of our life, we're going on our way to Carowinds and the weather's going to be perfect. A little bit more important than Carowinds, right? Listen, every day of your life. You and I have something to look forward to. We have a reason to get up. We have a reason to move forward. Of course, then you have to stop and ask there, do we? 
Do we live with a great expectation? You know, that's what God has for us. That, that's the status he wants us in, always looking forward. And because we have something to always look forward to, no wonder, wonder then Peter says, so truly be glad. So be truly, truly glad. You know, m- m- my guess is throughout this room right now, over at Midlothian, watching online, there's more than one person in here right now that has something to not be glad about, Right? My guess would be there's actually quite a few of us. There's a situation, a circumstance, or something going on in your life, something going on in a relationship that has left you feeling something very much less than glad. Glad is not the word you would use to describe your life right at the moment. Oh, you've got an expectation. Yeah, there, there is something you're anticipating this summer or you're anticipating in the balance of this year, but you're not looking forward to that. You're, you're actually in somewhat a bit of fear of it right now. You're very anxious. What, what if this comes about? You, you know what Peter is saying here is not denying the reality that you're living in right now. It's just reminding you there's a greater reality. What, what is being said right here is not denying that, that where you are and what you're going through doesn't hurt. And, it, and it's not saying it might hurt even more in the days, weeks, months to come. But it is a moment. It, it is temporary. And you still have something to look forward to. That is eternal. That is our hope. You, you know, I, I probably need to step back here a moment and talk about that word hope. Because you understand, you and I are at a huge disadvantage when we open our Bible and read that word hope. Because the way we use hope in the English language is very, very different. Almost the exact opposite of the way both the Hebrew and the Greek language use the word hope. See, you and I use the word hope really just as wishful thinking, right? I hope the caps are going to win. I hope the calves are going to win. Who could care less which one of them wins? That's another story. (laughs) I hope I'm going to have a great birthday. I hope the weather is... Now, when I say that, I don't have like any real evidence to tie to that, right? No, I'm I'm just wishing. I'm just... Isn't that how we normally use the word hope? As a matter of fact, you and I use the word hope when there is no evidence for what we want. Quite often, you and I use the word hope and faith and belief because there's a lack of evidence. When there's a lack of evidence, that's when those words come into play. And absolutely nothing could be further from the truth when you're talking about the word hope in the Bible. The word hope in the Bible is not something you do when there's a lack of evidence. Hope is something you do because of the evidence. It is tied to things. This great expectation is tied to things that are certain. We anchor to what is certain. What is certain? I'm going to rise again. And I'm going to go to heaven to be with God forever. Why do I know that is certain? Because I saw God the Father raise Jesus Christ. I know my God can conquer the dead. My hope is tied to a certainty. And you say, well, wait, wait, wait. Time out, Pastor. That's not exactly a certainty. That's just what we believe. You know, it's it's an historical fact that Jesus died on a cross. It's an historical fact that he was placed in a tomb. 
And it's an historical fact that on Sunday morning the body was missing. It's an historical fact that Roman guards knew where the tomb was. And it's a historical fact that the Jews knew where the tomb was. It's an historical fact that the disciples knew where the tomb was. When I say it's an historical fact, I know that historically because that's what the scripture teaches me. And the scripture has never been proven wrong one single time on history. But you know what? I respect the fact that for some people, the Bible is not going to be counted as history. It's not going to be counted as reliable. Now, their belief in that is not based on any evidence. It's just simply a choice that they make. So I respect that. But there are Roman writings, Roman history. There is Jewish writings, Jewish history by writers who were not promoting a Christian agenda, who were not promoting a belief in the resurrection, and they record the reality of all these things happening. Yes, there was a guy named Jesus, and he was crucified on a cross, and he was placed in a tomb, and Sunday morning the body was missing. And they report that people were going out saying they had seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. That's his, you can't debate that. That those are historical facts. Now, did they see a resurrected Jesus? Now, we could debate that, right? But with what evidence are you going to say their testimony is wrong? Is it, well, they're, they're, they're lying. Okay, but when we lie, we usually lie for a reason, don't we? We lie because of what we're going to, I'm going to gain getting out of trouble. I'm going to gain something I don't deserve. We lie to gain something. They had nothing to gain by telling that. As a matter of fact, many of them lost freedom. Many of them lost living comfortably in their neighborhood. Some of them gained death. So you you can't make, the evidence does not suggest they lied because of something they would gain by spreading that lie. Well, they're all crazy. Uh, You know, over 500 eyewitnesses, just with one fell swoop, we say they're all crazy. (laughs) One fell, oh, they were all, they're all hallucinating. Oh, they were, all, they were all deceived. You know, there's actually a psychological science to deception, a psychological science to hallucinating and, and, and to, to being deceived. You, you can measure all that. You know what's interesting is Jesus appeared to people over the course of several months. He appeared at nighttime. He appeared in the daytime. He appeared to individuals. He appeared to small groups. He appeared to a group of 500 at one time. He appeared to people that were grieving and scared. He appeared to people that were feeling joyful and on top of things. I mean, folks, you continue to describe the, the setting by which Jesus appeared. And in no way, shape, or form is that the makeup of a deception. Is that the makeup of, of hallucinating? You, you can say they're all crazy, but the evidence isn't really there to support that. As crazy as it is to say a miracle is the logical belief... The truth of the matter is, it takes a lot more faith to try to understand what happened to that body if he wasn't raised again. It takes more faith for not believing in the resurrection than it does to believe he was resurrected. Our hope for the day that Jesus Christ is revealed is tied to certainty. Now, who has that certainty? Peter here says that it is for those who have been born again. You know, as he writes that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, no doubt he remembers the time that Jesus talked, told his disciples, told Nicodemus how important it was to be born again. And in John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot, you will not see the kingdom of God. 
And I look at that one sentence, and this is the first thing that comes to my mind. That is frighteningly clear. That is frighteningly simple and direct. Doesn't say anything about unless you've accomplished this, unless you've done this, unless you've been there, unless you're related to, unless you have been born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. And now what's it mean to be born again? Well, as you kind of continue walking through John 3, Jesus kind of compares the physical life and the, and the spiritual life. You think about the physical life for a moment. My, my having a physical life is not based on anything I did, right? I mean, aren't, aren't we kind of like totally dependent upon somebody else to exist? I'm, I'm kind of counting on a mom and dad to get together. I'm assuming we understand the rest of how that works. You know, I'm told, I have no, I have no will on that. I have no power in that. I, I have no desire of that. I don't exist. I'm totally dependent upon somebody else for my physical life to come into being. What did Peter just said here? Our, our spiritual birth, our being born again is totally dependent on how good I am. No, it's totally dependent upon God's mercy that was produced by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. When I have that physical life, when I do come into existence and I'm born, that's the first birth. I, I now have a physical body. I can live a physical life and, and experience physical things. I can relate with other physical beings, right? I mean, we can see each other, hear each other, touch each other. Our physicalness allows us to relate. But spiritually, I have not been born. Actually, the scripture says over and over and over that spiritually I'm dead, I, I, I haven't been born. I can't do anything of spiritual value. I, 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 don't, I don't have a spiritual worth. Folks, when, when God is saying that your good works and my good works, our religiosity, when he is saying that that doesn't save us, he, he's not up there pouting. He's not up there going, well, I just don't accept how hard you're trying. No, it's not an issue of how hard we're trying. It's an issue that we're dead. A dead person can't produce anything of any value. We need to have another birth, a spiritual birth. Why are we dead? How did we end up being born dead? Because sin is in our DNA. We chose sin. We choose it so faithfully and consistently that we are born in it. Man, there's nothing more precious and innocent than a little baby, is there? Who taught a baby to lie? No one. Not one person teaches a baby, a child to lie, but 100% of them do. It's automatic. Who teaches a child to go, hmm? No one. You don't have to teach that cute little bundle of joy to go, hmm. No, that's born in them. What we have to teach them is to be kind and to share and to give. You see what I'm saying? Sin's born in us. We're born with a huge running head start to rebel against God. And that's why it says our birth started with mercy. It didn't start with how good we are. It didn't start with what we deserved. It started with mercy. 
And God provided a way through his son, Jesus Christ, for you and I to be born again. It says when we turn from ourself, when we turn from trusting in what a good religious person we're trying to be or what a good person we're trying to be, and we place our faith in Christ that we are born again. At that moment, we become a child of God. Now I have a spiritual life. Now I can relate with a spiritual God. Now I can do things of spiritual value because I'm a child of God. And you know what a child has, don't you? An inheritance. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a child. I'm in this family now. Now I've got an inheritance. See, now what Peter's starting to do, he's been saying, hey, listen, our hope is in that day that Jesus is revealed. But when we walk through that door of Jesus being revealed to all the world, we're stepping into our inheritance. That's what you and I are thinking on. That's what we're hoping in. That's what we're looking forward to. And this inheritance will never be lost. It's pure, it's undefiled, it's beyond the reach of change and decay. Have you ever lost anything because of change and decay? What a dumb question. What what have you not lost because of change and decay? Do you realize you possess nothing, you relate with no one that you will not lose because of change and decay? What's decay? Decay wraps up words like things break, things wear out. Things, people, animals die. 100%. Nothing, nothing is beyond the reach of decay. How about change? Change is a little bit different. I mean, change means, you know what? I can be doing good. Everybody around me can be doing good. This whole situation can all just be working wonderfully for me and providing me what I want. And then something changes. Somebody else buys the company. A, A new guy becomes the coach. You know, and now all of a sudden, everything I enjoyed now is now all hard. Huh, that the change takes it away. Hey, I bet there's some people in your life that have been pretty important to you, and then and then something changed. We live an entire life waiting for what we lose next because of change and decay. And Peter says, "Your inheritance is beyond the reach of change and decay." I know your entire experience has been lost because of change and decay, but God has something for you that will never be lost, that is untouched by change and decay. That's your inheritance. That's my inheritance. Now, now what is this inheritance? Oh my gosh, we, whew, we could spend two, three sermons just talking about that. What, what is our inheritance? You know, our inheritance is described as a position we just sang about it, right? You know, I, I, I hate to sound fairy ish because some of you will dismiss it for that reason. But, but folks, because we've been adopted, because we're a child of God, I'm royalty. That, that's my position in heaven. The scripture says that's my position in heaven. There, there's angels in heaven. There's going to be animals in heaven. There are all kinds of living things in heaven. And in that place, I am royalty. I am a son of the king. That's my position. That's what I'm inheriting. Hey, you you know what? Heaven is a place. It's actually a real geographical, you can touch it and feel it, location. And and maybe when we think of heaven being a place, we think of those streets of, who looks forward to seeing that? (laughs) Dang, that's got to be pretty awesome. But you know, even more than being streets of gold, I think what's going to be even more important to us is it's a place where we are incredibly loved like we don't even understand. 
You know, my guess is there, there's some folks here that have been incredibly loved in your journey through this world. I mean, hey, none of us, none of us is untouched by, by the hurt of somebody else, right? Because none of us has perfect people in our lives because we're all imperfect, which means we hurt each other. We fail each other. We disappoint each other. But even with those things in the mix, there are some of us, that, gosh, I hope a lot of us, but I know the reality so I'll just say some. There are some of us that somehow you have skated through this life and you've been mostly loved. I mean, your experience with grandparents, parents, a mate, with kids, with friends is, you know, mostly I've really enjoyed some people that were pretty kind and faithful and good to me. They loved me. To you, I would say, you can't fathom what we're talking about when you reach the love of heaven. When you live in that, you, you can't even begin to imagine it. You know, heaven is described with, with words, our inheritance, like eternal and riches. You know what eternal means? It, it doesn't end. That, that's part of that change and decay. Can't touch it. This goes on and on and on. When we've been there 10,000 years, we're not one less day. Right? It goes on and on. And riches. What comes to your mind when you think of Riches. I bet it tastes good. Man, what is riches? It's, it's abundance. It, it, it's opulence. It's the very best. It's the very most of everything. That's our inheritance. Hey, our, our inheritance is described with words like importance. You know, folks, what we do in heaven, I know there's this idea we just float around and strum on harps, but, you know, you really can go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and see the perfect world God created, and, and God created us to live with purpose, to live with meaning, to live in relationship. In heaven, I'm going to be, I'm going to be important. Man, some of us go through a whole life here feeling unimportant. That's not your eternity. You're going to inherit a life of importance. You're going to do things that are important. You're going to do things of impact. Well, for, for who? For the king of all kings. And you're going to do it in the position of being the son of the king, your royalty. Man, th folks, this is our hope. This is, that doesn't mean I can't hope for a good report. It doesn't mean I can't hope I win the race. It doesn't mean I can't hope that person would disappear it doesn't mean we can't have hopes in some things that are right now, right here today. But it means we are continually and constantly reminding ourselves all hopes tied to this day ultimately end and fail. Peter says, hey, listen, if we're going to have the strength, if we're going to have the attitude to be able to move through something, we've got to put out in front of us the great hope. The great expectation, the thing that has the ability to really make us truly glad. That's what we've got to put our hope in. That's our great hope. Now, now who, who, how, how do we enjoy this great hope? Man, it, this hope becomes mine. I inherit it with Jesus Christ. When I have Christ in my life, I have this hope. Now, that means we have to work on it, right? I mean, when I say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior, I'm not all of a sudden necessarily just filled with joy and gladness and, and I've got a great hope. No, we've got to, we've got to work on that. We've, we've got to build that. How, how do we know if we have real hope? How do we know if our, our faith is genuine and real? 
You know, folks, actually, it's, it's, it's pretty much kind of a hypothetical discussion, is it? I think my faith is real. I think my hope is real. I'm working on it. I'm, I'm trying to build it. But, but how do we really know? Because if my hope is, is real, then as the difficulties and sufferings and challenges of this world will come, I will remain faithful to Christ. If my hope is not real, then what will happen is my faith, my walk with Christ will crater and I'll begin to lose the very things that he wants me to enjoy. I won't live this day with great expectation. I'll lose that what ties me to being truly glad. Well, that seems kind of important, doesn't it? Man, I don't want to fail. I don't, I don't want to lose. How do I really know? Folks, we just arrived at the center of everything we've been talking about. Verse 7, how do I know my faith is real? Suffering. Suffering is what's going to prove that. Suffering is what's going to test that and, and, and try that. And so if I come up on a, on a time of suffering, if I come up on a time of temptation, and I remain true and faithful to the Lord, then I, okay, that, that hope is, is real. If I, if I fail, if I abandon then that's kind of a, that's sending a signal to me. You know what? Obviously, in that moment, I have a greater hope than Jesus. Obviously, in that moment, there's something I, I want joy in, I want hope in more than in the Lord. So what do I do? I abandon Christ and I go and I, and I seize, I, I grab a hold of this thing that I think is a greater joy, is a greater hope. You know, when we, when we say, I said last week, you know, we've, we've got this, this great day coming out there when Christ is revealed to all the world. We live in light of that day. Well, what does it mean to live in light of that day? Okay, well, I'm walking through today and all of a sudden I'm tempted to lie. Now, if today is what I value, if, if today and what I can get in today is my great hope, it's my great value, then a lie can sometimes be a pretty effective tool, Right? It'll get me out of trouble. It'll get me something that I want. It'll make me look good. So if today's what I value, then I grab a hold of the lie. But if I value the day that Christ has revealed to all the world, then I stop and think, now wait a minute. When I'm standing there with Christ on that day, what will I have wished I'd done today? Well, will I have back down there, will I have wanted the lie here? I'm guessing not. Okay, well, since that day is real, and since that day is coming, I'm going to make a decision about today based on that day. You know, folks, the one reason you and I have been left on this planet, the one reason God is going to wake you up tomorrow and send you into the world is to be a witness for Him. What does it mean to be a witness for Him? It, it, it means I'm sharing with people what Jesus means in my life. It means I'm sharing what he's done in my life. It means I can share the gospel with them. It, it can mean something as, as small as, hey, why don't you come to church with me this week? You and I are be sending it, we're being sent into a world to be a witness for him. If I value today, ah, that's not always going to be, that's not always going to be the card to play. <laughs> People think you're a little bit weird, fanatical. They kind of put you now as maybe being hateful. Not really sure that's going to help me get through today to identify with Christ. But if I'm thinking about the day that he's revealed to all the world, 
And maybe I want some of my friends and family there with me. See, if I'm living in light of that day, then I'm shaping and defining and working through today based on what I'm going to be thinking and feeling that moment I'm standing there with him, right? And so if he's my great hope, then those decisions will be made that way. If he's not my great hope, then I'm going to go running after some other hopes and joys and I will abandon him and I will fail him. So what suffering does is it, see, I'm thinking, well, I I hope I never abandon Christ. Well, I don't want to abandon. See, it's mostly hypothetical until you and I walk up on suffering and that's where it's tried and tested. And when you and I go through the trials, the temptations, when we go through the suffering and we lay hold of Christ, then I just proved, not to God, I don't need to prove anything. God knows more of what's going on in my heart than I know what's going on in my heart. I don't have to prove anything to him. No, I prove to myself that my faith is real. My hope is genuine. And folks, that proof, that proof is worth gold. Because that's the certainty that you tie to. That's the certainty that, that you anchor to as you move through this world. Listen, we're not saying that, that whether you fail or succeed is, is whether you're real or not. Listen, obedience doesn't save me. Obedience proves that I have a saving faith. And suffering is what tries that and tests that. And the product of that is what Peter is saying. Man, let me tell you something. When you have that, you have something worth more than gold. Gosh, there, there is so much. You, believe it or not, and, and I've talked a long time. It's time to wrap up and go home. Well, or go to life group. <laughs> I, there is much more that I didn't cover today than that I did. And we skirted across some of the things that, that I did cover. But, man, as you read these, just these first 12 verses, I think you have to leave here in a couple of questions. One key question, am I born again, right? I mean, there really is nothing more that your life is shaped and defined by, not only today, but listen to this, for all eternity, forever and ever and ever and ever. Nothing shapes and defines that more than by how you answer the question, have I been born again? Am I still spiritually dead and disconnected and unrelating to God? Listen, you can be spiritually dead and still be a pretty good person and do good things and still be spiritually dead. Have you been born again? Man, listen, if you've got any question about that, want to know what that means, uh, no, no, I don't think I have. Listen, I hope today, right now, that's God's desire and will for you. That's what the scripture wants for you is that you would be born again. And as we leave here in a moment, there's an opportunity for you to talk to somebody about how that can happen in your life right here and right now. Have I been born again? And, and, and I, would, I, would, I would assume that many of us are going to say, yes, I've been born again. I know that. I believe that. I trust that. You know, then we begin to, okay, now that I've been born again, is my salvation my great joy? Is heaven the hope that I'm building into my life? H- how do we do that? Man, you know, folks, if God didn't make this rocket science. You know, read your Bible. You pray. You worship. You be a witness and, and you know what's interesting? You, you, you do these things both alone and together. I, I read my Bible alone and I, I read it with the body of Christ, his people, right? I pray alone, I pray with the body of Christ. I witness alone, I witness with the body of Christ. I worship alone, I worship with the body of Christ. And, and as we do these things together, what we're doing is we're feeding, we're building that hope, we're feeding and strengthening and maturing that salvation, we're preparing ourselves for whatever... 
man, whatever the earth is going to throw at me tomorrow, right? Because I want to remain faithful to what I hope, to what I believe is the great joy in my life, Jesus Christ. That's mostly a hypothetical discussion until I walk up on suffering. And suffering will prove. You know, folks, as we read not only these two letters, just even these, these opening verses... You remember who Peter is, don't you? Peter is somebody who, who made the commitment to follow Christ and followed him. Peter is somebody who loved Jesus deeply. Peter is somebody who told Jesus Christ, I don't care what anybody else does. I'm going with you all the way to the end. If it costs my life, I'm right there with you. Because there's nothing greater in my life than you, Jesus. There's nothing I value more in my life than you, Jesus. And within hours told people he didn't even know who Jesus was. I don't, I don't even know the guys. I don't even know who you're talking about. And I think Peter would say, I've never been lower in all my life. I've never hated myself more. I've never been more disconnected from my creator. I've never been more on the brink of losing anything and everything that is of value. And I think he writes us two letters under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that none of us will end up where he ended. You know, I said a, I said a moment ago that, that, that Jesus appeared to, to individuals and small groups and large groups. There's, there's one verse in Luke 24. There's one appearance of Jesus after the resurrection that was to Peter. He appeared to him all alone. And it's the only resurrection account that we have no knowledge of what happened in that meeting. But when I look at Peter's life and what happened after that, I'm pretty sure I know what happened. Jesus said, I love you. And I forgive you. Don't disconnect yourself by abandoning. Don't, don't disconnect yourself from any true joy and hope. By, by, by grabbing a hold of other joys and hopes. And this time Peter went all the way. Now, you know, we like to hear a good success story, right? You know where Peter went all the way to? All the way to the cross. Because Peter himself was crucified for his great hope in Jesus Christ. Crucifixion is a moment. I'm guessing a horrible moment. But he inherits eternity. That's forever. Got to stay focused on that. Whatever else we're hoping in, we've got to stay hope it, focused on the day that Christ is revealed to all the world. And we won't abandon. We'll walk with Jesus the whole way. Amen? Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, may we be just such a people. Lord, I, I, I pray we would realize that what Peter is writing is very, very real. He is an eyewitness to your resurrection. And he is somebody who failed you greatly. He's also somebody who went with you all the way. And now he writes to to us as we move forward into a world that does not like what we believe, that does not like what we hope in. Lord, a world I fear it's going to become legal to attack 
what we believe and what we hope in. Lord, I pray we will be found faithful. And and maybe we'll sit over coffee and Bible studies and and maybe we'll kind of hypothetically discuss and think through how how we want to be faithful, how we want to hold on. But Lord, I pray we'll, we'll grab a hold of each other. We'll grab a hold of your word, these things you've given to build that hope, strengthen that faith so that when that suffering comes... We'll walk with you all the way, even if that means into eternity, because that's our hope. That's our hope. It's in Jesus' name we ask all this. Amen.